when you hear the, uh, the, the phrase, the first couple, what or who comes to your mind? I'm going to, these, maybe some of these folks do. Uh, Brock and Michelle, first couple, George and Laura, Donald and Melania. We have one more, Ronnie and Heather Walker, the first couple of Rustin. Daisy, that means you're the first child, right? Ronnie, Mayor, raise your hand back there. Ronnie asked me to put that up there for now. He absolutely did not. Hey, Ronnie, shout out. You're doing a super job. Let's give our mayor a hand. We, we have a great mayor. And Heather, shout out for you. As my wife would say, you have to put up with what goes with the leadership. And we appreciate you a bunch, too. Hey, we're going to look at another first couple today. As fun as it might be to dissect political first couples the next three or four weeks, uh, that would not be good. We're going to look uh, at the first couple of the Bible. Who would be who? Adam and Eve. If you have a Bible, turn to Genesis 2 and 3. Genesis 2 and 3. There's 929 chapters in the Bible, and everything in the Bible hinges on, (laughs) it starts on Genesis chapter 3. We're going to, again, look at this the next four or five Sunday mornings because there's so much here, so much rich stuff. But you graduates, as I prepared today, prepared this week, I thought about you, whether you're a high school graduate or college graduate, but everything we're going to see applies so much to all of us. Here's the big thought this morning. Take responsibility for your life. Young people, old people, in-between people, this is a life-changing concept, Take responsibility for your life. Now, let me start with a negative here. Most people don't take responsibility. Most people don't take responsibility. You struggle with it. I struggle with it. And if you wonder where you got it from, it was your great, 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 great grandparents, Adam and Eve, who started the struggle. In chapter 2, verse 15 through 17, the Lord God took the man, Eve hadn't been created yet, and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Lord God commanded the man, Adam, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You shall not eat it, for in the day you eat that, you will surely die. God gave so much freedom, and he gives a few boundaries, and, well, the rest of the story you may know, but you're going to know more in a second. Chapter 3, verse 1 through 6. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it. If you do, you will die. In verse 4, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not die. Liar. For God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. That's the problem. We want, to be, we want to be gods. In verse 6, so the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and she ate it. And she also gave some of it to her husband, who was a weak leader, who was with her and he ate it too. This is the beginning of major league trouble that we're going to see again the next few weeks. We're going to look at different angles of it. The responsibility part of it this morning is huge. In verse 7, Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. 
And they sewed fig leaves together, and they made themselves loin cloths. I guess the Speedo was invented here. A seven-year-old Sunday school class teacher asked the kids, what would have happened if, if Adam and Eve hadn't have eaten the fruit? Listen, that's a, that's a, 50 volumes couldn't answer that question completely. So to ask seven-year-olds, that's kind of unique. What would have happened if Adam and Eve hadn't have eaten the fruit? And there's you know, a bunch of seven-year-olds sitting around. Finally, a little girl raises her hand. She says, what would have happened? She said, well, if Adam and Eve hadn't eaten the fruit, we'd all be sitting here naked. That's a weird thought this morning, isn't it? I heard another kid say one time when they were asked about how were Adam and Eve in the garden naked and didn't bother them. Well, that's, again, a theological question for the ages. And the little kid said there wasn't any mirrors then. So <laughs> think about that later. Verse 8 through 10, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden. What did, what did it sound like for God to come walking through the garden in the cool of the day? And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord, God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called the man and said, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was terrified because I was naked and I hid myself. In verse 11, he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of that tree which I commanded you not to eat? Guys, I wonder what would have happened if they would have never eaten of it. But what's going to happen next What would have happened at this point if Adam would have stepped up and Eve would have stepped up and said, yep, God, we did it. And Adam said, I did it. It was my fault. The wife's kind of shady, but it's still my fault. And if Eve would have stepped up and said that, you know, that, that copperhead is a sorry dog snake. I hate it. But it's my fault that I did this. What if they would have taken responsibility? That's exactly what they don't take. Verse 12, the man said, the woman you gave to me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. You you understand what he's saying? He's not just blaming the woman. He's saying, he did it now. He said, oh, God, 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 I did, but, but it's that woman's fault. And by the way, here's what he says. He says, God is the woman you gave me. He, he's blaming God ultimately for his, his, behavior. And, and I want to tell you, in this room this morning, we have a tendency, if we're not careful, to blame God for our holes that we're in. Well, it, it, I wouldn't be in this trouble. This wouldn't be going on in my life. God, but you, but you, but you are my wife or my husband. And then he asked Eve, is Eve going to take responsibility? Verse 13, then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Now, the serpent, and again, we'll see more of this in the days ahead. The serpent is tied in clearly with Satan, and we don't understand all this fully. In Revelation chapter 12, way over at the end of the New Testament, it says, And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil, and Satan the deceiver of the whole world. But God, by the way, is fixing to hold Adam responsible, he's going to hold Eve responsible, and he's going to hold the snake responsible for everything that they did. The very first couple, when they were confronted with the spot they were in in their life, they negated responsibility completely, and we haven't changed in thousands of years. I heard a counselor say we do three things a lot of times with the responsibility that we should take. One is we deny it. (laughs) I didn't do it. It's not mine. I have a friend who's a policeman in Navasota, Texas, and Navasota, Texas, Highway 6, which goes to Houston and goes up to College Station to Waco. It's a major artery, and a lot of great things come out of Highway 6 and a lot of bad things. And he pulled over suspicious 
uh, guy driving suspiciously on Highway 6, and he checked his trunk, and there were 10 pounds of marijuana in it. And he asked the guy, he said, what is that in your trunk? He, I don't know how that got there. That's not mine. I would advise you when you leave church today, check your trunk to make sure no one has put marijuana in your trunk. We deny it. We deny, I didn't do it. We minimize responsibility. Well, I did, but really it's my wife's fault. It's my youth minister's fault. I, it, you know, I did it. I'm in this hole, but we met, or it's not that bad. Or we blame others. We, again, we, we, we blame someone else. It's, it's our situation, but it's your fault that we're in this situation. I'm unhappy, but it's your fault. I'm in a hole, but it's your fault. I'm not where I should be with God, but well, it's not your fault. Four or five years from now, I've graduated from college. I'm working on my master's degree, my doctor's degree. Or I flunked out of college, but it's because the professors were bad or my parents weren't good enough. Or my career has started. Our graduate school. We have a tendency when things don't go well, we negate responsibility. We even blame the devil. The devil's an influencer, but it's not his fault. A lady in Dothan, Alabama got caught in a Baptist association, stole $130,000. Here's what she told the judge. The devil made me do it. He said, that's a good excuse. You're guilty and you're going to prison. The devil didn't make her do it. I want to challenge you young people, and I want to challenge everyone here. Wherever we are in life, it's where we're going from this point forward that's most important. Stop not taking responsibility. In fact, I want to go back to the heart of the message this morning and say to you again that if you will take responsibility, taking responsibility will change your life. You'll take responsibility for your life. You will change your life. Listen, we're not going to, and I'm going to have to touch on a lot of things quickly, so I don't mean to hurt your feelings or say something that sounds abrupt. If, if you're a true victim, victims should be pitied. Victim, victims should be helped. Someone has been taken advantage of or abused or mistreated should be loved and cared for and ministered to. But don't play the victim. You decide at this point in your life, you want to be an adult, whether you're 12 or whether you're 80, because there's a lot of 80-year-olds that are immature emotionally. And you start taking responsibility for what's going on in your life. I, I don't know who said this. It's a great quote. You ought to write it down. The moment we choose to take responsibility for everything in our life is the moment we can change anything in our life. Let me repeat that. The moment, the moment we begin to take responsibility for everything in our life is the moment you can change anything in your life. Can I read to you verse 12 and 13 again? I'm going to anyway. That was rhetorical. The man said, the woman you gave me, she gave me the fruit. And I ate it. God, is that woman's fault. And God, ultimately, if you hadn't given me this chick, you and I would be in the garden having fun today. It's your fault too, God. And the woman said, God, it was the serpent that caused this to happen. I want you to go the opposite direction of the first couple. We don't know what would have happened. Well, we do know what would have happened if they would have never eaten the fruit. But I wonder what would happen if they'd taken responsibility. You can and I can. I want to give you some application points for responsibility this morning. The younger you get this, the better off you'll be. Number one, take responsibility for your words, for what comes out of your mouth. Did you know the Bible says that, that someday every one of us will give an account for every careless word? And when we stand before God, excuses will not be allowed. 
Take responsibility for your speech. Take responsibility for your temper. How many of you have ever said this? They made me so mad. How many of you have ever said that? Many of you are liars, but you have said that. (laughs) We've all said that. And you know what? Here's the truth. No one can make you mad. People, people might do things that, that you should be angry with. The Bible says Jesus was angry a few times. Righteous anger. See, we get mad like all the time like this. There's about that many times in life to get mad. And, and that's people are mistreated. God's causes are mistreated. But, but listen, you are in control of your temper. Take responsibility for your speech. Take responsibility for your temper. Take responsibility for your attitudes. Take responsibility for your attitudes. Dr. Victor Frankel was a psychiatrist who spent like three years of his life in Jewish concentration camps. And he survived. And when he got out, here's what he said. I saw everything taken away from me and everything taken away from everybody I knew. I mean, a grown man, six foot two, 200 pounds, leaves the concentration alive. He's six foot two, 95 pounds. Everything. He said, there's one thing that they can never take from me, and that was my choice of attitude. Take responsibility for your attitude. Let me give you a biggie. Take responsibility for your joy and your happiness. Here's what a lot of us do. They make me so unhappy. I would be happy if things were different at work. I would be happy if things were different at home. I would be happier if I was treated this way. I'm I'm not negating that you you might be in some bad spots that you need to get out of. Zig Ziglar was a great Christian and a great motivational speaker. Stephen Covey was a great uh, professor and motivational writer. And I'm putting a quote, two quotes that they, they said, put them together. Both of these great men said this, that your joy and your happiness is your responsibility. Quit blaming everybody else because you're a grouch. Quit blaming everybody else because you're unhappy. Make a choice to be happy. It's, you're responsible. Do you know what? You're responsible for your behavior. You're going off to college. You're going to have more freedom than you've ever had. Man, I loved college. I literally said this about college. College would have been great if you didn't have to go to class. That was the only thing that messed college up for me was the academics. Everything else was absolutely great. But you're going to have behavioral choices, and you're going to be responsible. How many of you know where Woodworth, Louisiana is? If your name is like... Marie Woodworth, and it's named after your great-grandmother. I'm not meaning to offend you what I'm fixing to say, but that's like the ticket capital of the world. Not of the United States, but of the world. 2012, I'm down there for a preacher's meeting. Now, you go home today, and you thank God you don't have to go to preacher's meetings. They're nerdy, and they're boring, and they're long, because every preacher has to get up and talk for 20 minutes. I'm leaving the preacher's meeting Never been through Woodworth in my life. I've got two preachers in my car. These guys look like preachers, smell like preachers, act like preachers. Please tell me I don't do any of those things, but, but they did. So we're, it's 45, and it turns into a 35, just like this. I mean, boom, boom. I see the blue lights come on. I'm a preacher. I made sure my Bible was invisible, view. I get out of the car. He's real nice. He's smiling real big. I said, what's the problem, officer? He said, uh, you're, you're speeding. I said, what? He said, yeah, it's 35 and you're going 40. Oh, okay. Hey, you know, hey, fist bump, I'll slow down, no problem. He keeps smiling. He writes me a $165 ticket. I'm playing the preacher car. Yeah, we just left the preacher's meeting and, you know, they're sitting in the car. You know. 
$165 ticket. I'm not saying he was doing anything wrong. I'm just saying he wasn't real nice. His gift is not mercy. I get back in the car, and these clowns who got to ride in my car for another hour and a half, they're laughing. I'm like, I can beat both of you up, and I can make you walk. Which would you rather me do right now? So we go home, and I'm, go, I'm in Woodworth Tuesday for a meeting. You know what I'm thinking when I pull in Woodworth? 20 miles an hour. If I get pulled over, it's going to be for going too slow. And I see, it's probably that same cop. I see him sitting there. And I wanted to wave and honk, but no, he'll, he'll get me for something. So I just, 20 miles an hour, I went through there and I came back. Here's the moral of that funny story is that, you know who his fault it was? I got a ticket. It was my fault. Oh, is, is there bad cops? Absolutely. There's bad preachers. There's bad parents. There's bad coaches. There's bad salespeople. He wasn't doing a bad job. He was being strict, strict, strict. But you know what? I didn't get a ticket when I said, you know what? I'm not going to get a ticket in this town. Because I control what I, how I drive. Your behavior is within your realm of possibility. Young people, old people, get a hold of this. This is so important. What about your health? There's things with your health that you can't control. A lot of it you can. I mean, you, but you, you certainly you can live right, do right, and, and, and get a disease and die. I'm not saying that. But a lot of times, just even things like our health tied into our behavior is our choice. Our oldest daughter, Julie, who lives in Texas, she was grounded her junior and senior year in high school. Pretty much, we counted the time she wasn't grounded as like this, you know, that was like really unusual. And so, one time in November, she was grounded. It was a Friday night. And, and young people, here's a, well, you, most of y'all are getting out of, out of the house. But if you still live at home, if you make your parents miserable while you're grounded, they are less inclined to ground you. And so, she comes in and she says, um, Dad, I say, yes, yeah, I'm, I'm reading, watching TV. She goes, I'm getting fat and it's your fault. Women are a little psycho about this, as you know. I mean, she wasn't getting fat, nothing getting close to getting fat. Maybe there's a little flab on a finger or something. And when she said, it's your fault that I'm getting fat, I put the book down. I said, what are you talking about? She goes, you grounded me. I'm staying home. I don't have anything to do. I'm eating. I'm getting fat, and it's your fault. There's like 800 things wrong with that statement. It was her fault she was grounded, and it was her fault she kept stuffing it in with a fork. Amen? So here's what I'm t- take take responsibility for your behavior and take responsibility for things kind of like your health, your grades. I want to ask you this: How many of you ever had a bad teacher or professor? I didn't. I say, don't raise your hands when everybody's doing this. How many of you love Jesus? Not near as strong as I'd like, but I, some of you is like. You're going to have some teachers that probably ought to be doing something besides teaching. <laughs> but, you know, ultimately, if you're going to make it academically, you've got to take responsibility. It's like athletics. How many young people, how many people who are my age now still are complaining about that bad coach or that bad break that you had? Well, maybe you just didn't work as hard and you didn't take responsibility for what you should have. I learned a good lesson when I was a sophomore in high school in practice I was running the ball, and I fumbled, and I came off the field, and my coach said, why'd you fumble? I realized he didn't want an answer after I answered. I began to give him a long logistical answer about the, the shape of the football in my arm, and it hit the hip pad, and it fell out. And he said, Chris, excuses are like ears. Everybody's got some. Don't fumble the ball the next time you get the ball. You know what? If you're looking for an excuse, whether it's your academics, your athletics, your health, your behavior, you always find it.
You want to be different, take responsibility. What about things like your friendships? You wish you had more friends? Can you have bad friends? Absolutely. People who aren't really loyal or aren't, aren't friends. But you know, your mama told you years ago to have a friend be a friend. Take responsibility. You're dating relationships. If you are saying this today, I'm dating a creep, break up with them. Amen? Parents, say amen. You Dating, the whole thing about dating is you can get out of it really easily and properly. Take responsibility for your dating life. Take responsibility for your marriage. I'm not saying you might have a bad husband or bad wife. I understand that. I understand how it can happen. There's literally a book a marriage counselor wrote. The title is Mistakes Were Made, But Not By Me. And here's what this counselor said. After years of doing marital therapy, most marriages slowly disintegrate and they start blaming the other person and justifying their own behavior. There's some things in your marriage you may not be able to control, but there's a lot that you can. Take responsibility for your marriage. Take responsibility for your money. We talked about this last week. For where you want to be financially, how you handle it. Take responsibility for your job and your career. Brian Tracy is a a great writer and a great motivational speaker. Here's a quote he said, and this is worth writing down too. He looked at a lot of peak performers in athletics and in the professional world. He said, peak performers, one thing they have in common is they take 100% responsibility for their work. They don't blame other people. They don't make excuses. And Tracy went on to say the difference in a child and an adult is the adult takes responsibility for their life. You can be 80 years old, 60 years old, and be a child. You can be 14 and be an adult. Start taking responsibility for your life. And I would tell you this on a big picture. Start taking responsibility for where you're going to end up in your life. Man, I wish, in some ways, I wish I was graduating from high school right now. It'd be kind of weird being married to my wife because she's in her 50s, and that would be odd, but my kids would be older than me. That'd really be weird, but... Just to start over and to realize I, I have a huge, a huge decision and responsibility where I end up. Guys, don't, don't wake up 10 years from now. You college graduates, you students us who, are, who are out of school, quit making excuses and say, you know what, we're, we're, I'm going to be 10 years from now. I'm going to take responsibility for that. And it's going to be in a good spot with the help of God. Take responsibility for where you're going to be. And lastly, let me tell you this. Take responsibility for you and God this morning. Take responsibility for, for you and God. Now, now, listen to me. This is very important. Because what I'm going to tell you is very important theology. God initiated everything with you. He created you. You didn't create yourself. God created you. Jesus Christ came to earth and he died for you and he arose from the tomb for you god sent the holy spirit who's in this room right now he's he's pulling on some of your hearts trying to pull you to christ or pull you back to christ the bible tells us over and over that god loves you reckless love we just sang about and that god desires that you're saved and that you live in fellowship with him that is what god wants for you 
And whether that happens or not, now God's done all the heavy lifting. So if that happens, you know who's responsible for it happening now? Y-O-U. You can blame predestination. You can blame your mama. You can blame your preacher. You can blame whoever you want to. But what happens with you and God, I'm telling you, someday you're going to stand before God and he's going to hold you accountable. In Joshua 24, 15, listen to what Joshua says. And if it's evil in your eyes to serve God, choose who you're going to serve. Whether the gods your father served in the region Beyond the river are the gods that little g means false gods of the Amorites in whose lands you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua said, look, we got to make a choice. And boy, you better believe you're responsible for it. And I am choosing to serve God. If you're a Christian this morning, start taking responsibility for where you're going to be with God. You can't have a walk with God without doing that. God doesn't want to hear my excuses or your excuses about our sin. He wants us to own up to them, claim them, and get them right. James 4, 8 is one of the great verses for Christians. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, purify your heart. See, Christian, take responsibility for where you are with God. As a church, we deeply desire to help you. We've got some of you one hour a week, twice a month. It's kind of hard when you've got 168, uh, seven hours a week, and we're one hour of it. But we're going to do our best. You come to youth. You come to connection groups. We may have you three or four hours a week, and we're going to do our very best, our very best to help you. But you are responsible for where you and God go. Christian, man, live up to that. And if you're not a Christian, listen to me. If you're not a Christian, write these passages down. Acts chapter 2 and Acts 16. Acts chapter 2 and Acts 16. Acts 2, it's Peter talking. Acts 16, it's Paul talking. They ask, people ask them, what do we have to do to be saved? What do we have to do to become a Christian, in other words? What do we have to do to be right with God? And I'm paraphrasing, but here's what Peter and Paul basically said. You've got to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You've got to act. And boy, you better believe we're going to be held accountable for that. We're going to be held responsible for what we do or don't do with Jesus Christ. I want to give you two, two quotes. And I don't know who said these, but they're, they're really good. Taking responsibility for your life, it'll change it. I wish I would have memorized that when I was about 12. And that last one is scary, but it's really important too. And know that God is certainly holding you responsible for your life. 2 Corinthians 5.10, it tells us someday we'll all stand before God and that we're going to give an account for the good and the bad things that we've done. In other words, God is going to hold us responsible. I want to challenge you this morning. You want your life to be different and better? Take responsibility for your life. Let's pray. This morning, if you're a Christian, I hope and I pray that you will do these things. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, maybe you're ready right now to give your life to Jesus. Pray with me. Pray with me and just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I want to turn from my sins. And Jesus, I believe you're God's son and that you died and you arose for me. 
Come into my heart, Jesus. And I surrender my life to you. Let me have your attention. We're going to stand in a second and give you a chance to respond. You're responsible for what you do. Maybe you just prayed and asked Christ in your heart. Are you ready to do that? You can come right now when we stand in a moment and give your life to Christ. Maybe you're uncomfortable with that. We'll be happy to meet you over at this door after church and talk to you about that. But listen, you've got a decision to make. You may never have the opportunity again to give your life to Christ. Do it this morning. Maybe you'd like to join the church today. You can do that after church. Or you can do that when we stand. We'd love for you to. You're a Christian. Maybe you're doing great with some of these things. Maybe you're not. My challenge to myself and to you is start taking responsibility for your life. Man, the great direction it can go if you would. Let's stand.